Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. When we're examining Frantz Fanon's book, Black Skin, White Masks, as a whole, as a piece of literature, and as a work of philosophy, although at a certain point he says it's rather psychology than philosophy, we'll get to that in a moment, we can talk about an overall approach, which has several dimensions or elements to it woven together. And this is not something that is dissociated from its overall argument argument, the overall case that he is making throughout the work. And this is, in some respects, a challenging work because of that. Many people would like there to be a method or an approach, and then you just apply it to the phenomena. And he says, no, no, there's a dialectic going on. And as a matter of fact, as he is, is writing this work, it's developing as a whole by applying these different things and finding out how they interpret each other, affect each other, give a more and more adequate overall picture, you could say. And if we're going to say that there's two main, let's call them orientations or vectors, we could say there's, there's psychoanalysis and then there's existentialism. But it's also good to remember that these are not two totally separate very well-defined movements or anything. There's a lot of interpenetration between them. And in somebody like Fanon, we find these being used quite a bit in conjunction with each other and being theorized in that way. So we can talk about this psychoanalytic approach, and this is there from the very beginning. He talks about this as an effort to understand what he calls the black-white relation, which turns out to be quite complex. And so we should look at a few of the things that he says early on in his introduction. As a matter of fact, this is one that I'm really, every time I read it, I'm, I'm drawn by this he says, this book should have been written three years ago, but these truths were a fire in me then. Now I can tell them without being burned. These truths do not have to be hurled in men's faces. They are not intended to ignite fervor. I do not trust fervor. And he says, fervor is the weapon of choice of the omnipotent. So it's not just supposed to be a throw something in everybody's face and say, see racism so bad or anything like that. He's doing a careful analysis here. And he's also saying, listen, we can't just beat people over the head with this. We have to make a case and then let people, if they're able to see whether that case works or not. And so he talks about this complex, problematic structure. And what is it? Well, it's a, it's a relation between black and white. And you might say, well, that's very universal. And, and there is a universal aspect to it, but there's also a lot of particular aspects. So he goes on and he says, if we examine things in the course of this essay, we are going to observe the development of an effort to understand the black-white relation. The white man is sealed in his whiteness, the black man in his blackness. Just a little bit earlier than that, he says, the black man wants to be white, the white man slaves to reach a human level. So he's not saying that blacks as, as a universal class are stuck in this position. Whites are stuck in this position. Everybody's kind of stuck. Everybody is in this framed relation to each other where there's a great you know, amount of 
potential freedom to be exercised, but when we're not careful, we shift back into these quite easily. So he says, we're going to ascertain the directions, and now notice the word that he uses here, of this dual narcissism and the motivations that inspire it. And we should pause on that. What, what would he mean a dual narcissism? So to be narcissistic is a personality problem, right? And in his time, they used the word neurosis. Now we use disorder or other language, depending on, on whose psychology we're, we're adopting. And the idea is that the narcissist is sort of obsessed with their own situation and unable to grasp that of others, except in relation to their, their own. The, the others don't really have importance as such. But we can also be in sort of a dual narcissism where, you know, this is what we call codependency in interpersonal relations these days, where each person is getting something out of the situation that they're in on some level. I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily getting something in, in the sense of like getting actually what they truly want, but they're forced into it. And so that's good to keep in mind. So he says, at the beginning of my speculations, it seems inappropriate to elaborate the conclusions the reader will find. Concern with the elimination of a vicious circle has been the only guideline for my efforts. So that tells you what he's about here. This is not just a book of analysis. This is a book that's supposed to provide a way out. So he says, there is a fact. White men consider themselves superior to black men. There's another fact. Black men want to prove to white men at all costs the richness of their thought, the equal value of their intellect. How do we extricate ourselves? So he's not saying, how do we win? How do we decide who's got it right? How do we get out of this, this bind? So he says, I believe only a psychoanalytical interpretation of the black problem can lay bare the anomalies of affect that are responsible for the structure of the complex. And he says, the analysis I'm undertaking is psychological. In spite of this, it is apparent to me the effective disalienation of the black man entails an immediate recognition of, he says, what? social and economic realities. If there is an inferiority complex, it is the outcome of a double process. Now he says, what is the, this double process? Primarily economic. And this is why his analysis here applies not just to French colonies, but to racism more generally. When we look at racism carefully, we find out that there's always an economic component involved in, in contemporary modern racism, right? There's actually a whole bunch of economic components. Then he says, subsequently, the internalization or better, the epidermalization of this inferiority. And then he goes into some discussion about Freud, which we'll get, we'll get to shortly. So there's this complex problematic structure. He mentions this at a couple other points as well that are worth bringing up. He's talking about people in Madagascar and the analysis by a psychoanalyst that he thinks has gotten wrong. He says, in other words, I begin to suffer from not being a white man to the degree that the white man imposes discrimination on me, makes me a colonized native, robs me of all worth, all individuality, tells me I'm a parasite on the world, that I must bring myself as quickly as possible and step with the white world. He goes on and he says, then I will simply try to make myself white. That is to compel the white man to acknowledge that I am human, but this doesn't work. And Manoni, the person who Fanon is criticizing, says, oh, it's because you have a dependency complex. And Fanon says, no, the answer is much more simpler. You're not going to get the white world to acknowledge you as an equal, and it doesn't have to do with your own inferiority complex. That has been placed upon you. So there's, again, this structure is rearing its head. 
just a little bit after that. He says, when I'm looking at things in terms of my patients, he says, my patient is suffering from an inferiority complex. If he's overwhelmed to such a degree by the wish to be white, it is because he lives in a society that makes his inferiority complex possible, a society that derives its stability from the perpetuation of this complex in a society that proclaims the superiority of one race to the identical degree to which that society creates difficulties for him, he will find himself thrust into an erotic situation. So it's not that people are nuts, it's that society and the way that it's set up and the specificity of racial dynamics is making people suffer from these matters. And so he says, what we have to do then is combined action on the individual and the group, right? So the black man should no longer be confronted by the dilemma, turn white or disappear, but he should be able to take cognizance of a possibility of existence. And this gets us to the existential approach that we're going to look at a little bit later. Another place that's worth bringing up in the text, uh, talking about these dynamics, he has this one line that's, that's quite emblematic here. He says, you come too late, much too late. There will always be a world between you and us, the other's total inability to liquidate the past once and for all. So it's not as if we can just step ourselves into an abstract situation where we, we, we're all colorblind and the past doesn't mean anything and we all just recognize each other as brothers and sisters or whatever else. It's a world, he says, that stands between us. And it's a white world. It's a world that has been infused with valorizations and meanings that's, that's not so easy to slip out of. Quite a bit later in the work, he talks about the real white man waiting for me after I've gone through my own sort of dynamics. And so it's not as if one can simply just wish all of this away. Earlier in the work, he talks about the difference between two different levels of analysis, a philosophical level, which would be a level of, of the basic needs of human reality. And he says, I'm willing to work on the psychoanalytic level. In other words, the level of the failures in the sense in which one speaks of engine failures. Now, is Fanon sticking to that? No, he's actually carrying out an analysis that is both philosophical and psychoanalytic slash psychological at the very same time. And these are informing each other. We should also talk before we move on from psychoanalysis about what he does. He critically engages psychoanalytic literature and key figures. So, you know, he talks about Freud, for example, telling you, I think Freud got this right. I think he got this part wrong or he left this out. He talks about Jung. He says that Jung got something right with the notion of the collective unconscious. He just got it completely wrong in how he actually describes how the collective unconscious works and what builds it and totally overlooked the fact that he was like drawing upon literature of colonized peoples and had no problem with that. He brings up Adler, who was a prominent psychoanalyst of the time. Adler was one of these ego psychologists, thought that the, the goal is actually to shore up the ego against the id and the superego and allow us to live a more productive life. He talks about Jacques Lacan at, at certain points, in some respects positively, in some respects negatively. He's engaging with that. I mentioned Manoni, who he brings up and criticizes for having done this analysis of people in Madagascar. 
And then finally, there's another author, Germaine Guet, who he brings up, and he really only has positive things to say about her analysis. And, and it's very interesting because a lot of psychoanalysis focused on trauma as being the origin point of psychological disorders. And Guet talks about abandonment and the role that non-affirmation has to play, something that was quite recognized by, say, the, the, the 60s and, and 70s in the psychoanalytic literature, but it, it took a while. They usually thought there had to be some positive damage instead of negative damage. And I wanted to bring up one example of how he is appropriating this stuff. So this is in the, the section about psychopathology. He says, whenever I've read a psychoanalytic work discussed problems with my professors or talked with European patients, I've been struck by the disparity between the corresponding schemas, so schemas are ways in which things are understood and applied, and the reality that the Negro presents. It has led me progressively to the conclusion that there's a dialectical substitution when one goes from the psychology of the white man to that of the black. Now, he's not saying that white brains and black brains are different or anything like that. He's talking about this as, as something that has come about because of essentially colonialism and, and racism. And he says that uh, a close study would actually have to be divided into two parts, a psychoanalytic interpretation of the life experience of the black man and a psychoanalytic interpretation of the Negro myth. And he says reality prevents such procedures. The facts are much more complicated. So a psychoanalysis like that carried out in here would have to take cognizance of all those complicated facts. I mentioned that there is also an existentialist approach. There is a complementarity here with the psychoanalytic approach. And we have one figure who actually gets referenced who combines the both of them together. And that would be Carl Jaspers, who was a practicing physician and psychologist and was also a major philosopher. And Fanon actually draws upon him talking about the capacity to draw useful information. He's talking about it in terms of uh, phenomenology at this point, useful information out of singular cases by grasping what's essential in it. There's a lot of engagement with Jean-Paul Sartre throughout the, the work, some of it positive, some of it critical, some of it appropriating things from Sartre some of Du Beauvoir as well. Even Gabriel Marcel comes in. His Etre Avoir, Being and Having, gets mentioned at a certain point. So interesting example of this is where in a footnote, he's actually considering something that Sartre has to say and contextualizing it. He says, though Sartre's speculations on the existence of the other, other big caps, may be correct, to the extent we must remember to which being and nothingness describes an alienated consciousness, their application to a black consciousness proves fallacious. Why? Because the white man is not only the other, but also the master, whether real or imaginary. So he's not rejecting Sartre's analysis wholesale and saying, this guy is totally off base, or he's a racist, reject him. He's saying, no, no, the understanding that Sartre is working from is inadequate in certain respects. We need to fill in gaps. There's a number of different, I would say this fits in with the existential thing as well. There's a number of examination and rejection of an appeal to racial archetypes. One of the ways in which blacks were 
able to, you could say, reorient themselves in relation to a white dominated world was to say, you're wrong when we you say we don't have any history. We don't have any culture. Look at all these examples. Look at, and so they're engaging in archaeology. They're engaging in recovery of that history that people like Hegel had denied even existed when Hegel says Africa has no history. That was the sort of typical white stance for a long time. And it actually is still among many people today all over the world. And so Fanon says, okay, I got into that stuff, but it actually doesn't help the situation. And he talks about this. He says, we encounter a white world, then can we reconstitute a black world? He said, from the opposite end of the white world, a magical Negro culture was hailing me. Negro sculpture, I began to flush with pride. Was this our salvation? I had rationalized the world and the world rejected me on the basis of color prejudice. And so I threw myself into another world. And, and you know, we see this today, these, these assertions that all of the great philosophers were secretly black or something like that. And Fanona saying that is totally unhelpful. That does not change the situation a bit. A little bit later, he says, my unreason was countered with reason, my reason with real reason. Every hand was a losing hand for me. I analyzed my heredity. I made a complete audit of my ailment. I wanted to be typically Negro and it was no longer possible. I wanted to be white. That was a joke. When I tried on the level of ideas and intellectual activity to reclaim my negritude, it was snatched away from me. Proof was presented. My effort was only a term in the dialectic. And he goes on to quote Senor. And he says, I felt I'd been robbed of my last chance. And so a little bit later, he says, Orfe Noir is a, is a date in the intellectualization of the experience of being black. And then he criticizes Sartre again. And, and he says, in terms of consciousness, the black consciousness is held out as an absolute density, is filled with itself, a stage preceding any invasion, any abolition of the ego by desire. And he says, this is, this is a, a mistake. This is a trap. We need to get out of that. Towards the end, he, he actually reapproaches this topic in by way of a conclusion. And he says, we don't want to be slaves of the past. On the one hand, even the Peloponnesian War belongs to me, right? He uses that as an example. On the other hand, the discovery of the existence of a Negro civilization in the 15th century confers no patent of humanity on me. Like it or not, the past can in no way guide me in the present moment. The problem considered here is one of time, and we come back to this complex problematic structure. Those Negroes and white men will be disalienated who refuse to let themselves be sealed away in the materialized tower of the past. For many other Negroes, in other ways, disalienation will come into being through their refusal to accept the present as definitive. So what are they refusing to accept the present? They're revolting towards the future, but there's also the possibility of recapturing a present that is not one dominated by the categories of, of the past. And so moving through these, these dilemmas, this is really typically existentialist, getting out of the complex, almost double bind or we might even say triple bind if we sketched out the, the situation because there's a, a, another term in there yet in, in the analysis of consciousness. This is typically existentialist. It's not an assertion that we can like snap our fingers and suddenly make ourselves into beings who we're not. It is an understanding that these structures do not have to totally determine the present or the future and that we have to exercise our freedom in order to do that. I do want to mention that Fanon draws upon other sources in this work as well. 
which is, you know, perfectly in accordance with the psychoanalytic and existentialist approaches. If you look at the literature of both, you'll see that being done. So he looks at literature, including contemporary literature of his, his own time in which uh, black white situations are being depicted. Literature provides us with a window into psychology. He engages in critical analysis of cultural products, ranging from films to Br'er Rabbit stories to all sorts of other things like Tarzan, for example. He draws upon lived experiences of himself and those provided by others as well in narratives. And I, I want to close on one thing that I think is, is quite important to bring up in terms of this lived experience thing. So when he's criticizing Manoni, the, the psychoanalytic author, he says that I'm not going to say that one cannot enter into the lived experiences of other people and understand them and draw something out of them. That's actually how we sometimes make progress, how we understand the other. Manoni fails because he didn't exercise enough, we might say, empathy or imagination or faithfulness or anything like that. But we can do that. We can understand our way by implication into Fanon's situation, just as Fanon can understand his way into the situations of others. He wants to hold out that possibility, but he says it takes work. It takes effort. It can't be something just taken for granted. And we have to continually engage in a dialectic of seeing whether we're getting things right. I would say that that's actually what, what psychoanalysis does when it's really working well. And that's part of an existentialist approach to the other. And so black skin, white masks is in effect drawing upon that in order to make the case that what we need is an analysis and then some sort of action in response that recognizes that it's not just a matter of archetypes or anything like that, or, you know, situations that are inevitable that racism has deformed the personalities and the orientations of so many people. And it does so not just through color prejudice, but also through economics, through a variety of other things that have a bit more sticking power that then get internalized, but can be in some respect examined, chipped away at and overcome. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.